More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Tuesday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We are here on debate eve as we prepare for the, almost like the JV debate squad, uh, to take the stage tomorrow at the Reagan Presidential Library. Donald Trump will not be involved in that debate yet again it appears that he is not going to be involved in any of the republican primary debates and it does not appear to have hurt him in a big way uh we've got a lot of different topics to dive into but sometimes you wake up and feels like the world's changing and i know for a lot of you out there you remember and you may know me from i did a sports gambling show for four years I love to look at the gambling markets. Where is money being spent? Where are people deciding that they want to allocate their resources? What what should we expect? What are probabilities? I encourage everybody, Buck, all the time, think probabilistically. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. And so if you think probabilistically, think, okay, I think this is likely to happen. This is not likely to happen. Trump has been a real challenge for gambling markets ever since he came down that escalator in 2015. And many of you will remember, Buck, I know you well do because you were in New York at the time when the New York Times said that Hillary, what was the percentage chance that Hillary was going to win, Buck? 98? Over 90. I think it was 97. 97% chance that Hillary Clinton was going to win the 2016 presidential election. Trump wins. This is really intriguing, and I think there's a couple of things at play here that I want to unpack and I want to discuss, and I want to see whether you buy it, Buck. Big news here. Donald Trump is now favored to win the 2024 presidential election in gambling markets. A lot of you out there are going to say, okay, explain to me what that means, Clay. Let me contextualize it this way. At no point in the entire 2016 presidential campaign was Trump favored to beat Hillary Clinton. Some of you may well have won money 
betting on Trump. He was a big underdog in terms of whether or not he was going to be elected president in 2016. He won as an underdog. That happens. Anybody who plays or is involved in sports knows that sometimes the underdog wins. 2020, Buck. Trump was a big favorite for re-election until COVID happened. And in March and April, he went from being the favorite to being an underdog to Joe Biden, and he was never favored to win the 2020 presidential election in the gambling markets. There was one small period early in the evening of election night where the gambling markets became convinced that Trump was going to win based on some of the returns. Some of you are saying, hmm. And then the markets flip back. Biden ends up winning. But for most of the 2020 presidential campaign, Joe Biden was favored. And for the entire 2016 presidential campaign, Trump was the underdog. This morning, for the first time in his presidential career, Donald Trump is now the favored candidate to be the next elected president of the United States. Okay, that is a fact. Why? Yeah, I got a couple of theories here, Buck. One, there have been several polls that are very favorable to Trump. The Messenger poll, I know you know the guys at the Messenger pretty well, had Trump up five. The Washington Post had him up ten. Trump has a lead in polling, which is very rare for Trump, even if it is a small lead. On top of that, this is what I really think is moving markets, Buck. There's a lot of fear in Democrat circles that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is going to run as the libertarian candidate, that he is frustrated with what the DNC has done to try to box him out in running against Joe Biden, and that he is preparing to announce that he will be the libertarian candidate for president in 2024. And there are even quotes from him that I was reading late last night, Buck, and we need to get RFK Jr. back on this program uh, because I read some of these quotes and they were uh, they were fairly interesting. He said he's going to have to make his decision, Buck, by October, meaning RFK Jr., as to whether or not he wants to be the nominee uh, going forward. And if that is true, the data reflects that RFK, RFK Jr. actually is a massive hit to Democrats, and that basically would end, in many ways, Joe Biden's opportunity to be the uh, to be the president of the United States. So, these are big movements. I don't know how much attention it's going to get in the media. I think it's worth paying attention to. What is your reaction? Right now, it's speculation, right? So it's really tough. But to it's know. speculation with money, which is why I pay attention to it. People are putting their real money down. But I remember that what the betting odds were telling us in the 2022 midterms, which we talked about a lot. And if we had, if, if you had placed a lot of money based on the, on who was favored to win in the key races who were Republicans, uh, let, let's just say you, you better get your side hustle going on because it was a rough True. time for your bank account. So the betting markets, I think, are just a, a function. And this, this is kind of obvious, but it's a function of what perception may be at any point in time. So right now the perception is Biden is at a an absolute uh low point. Um uh he's at a low point in terms of the polling, he's at a low point in terms of narrative, campaign machinery, and and I think there is 
uh, a real conversation going on among people who matter and make decisions at the top ranks of the Democrat Party. The donors, the big organizations and entities behind closed doors. But I think there is definitely concern. I'm, to be clear, I've never thought that they're like, oh, yeah, it's Biden because he's great. I just think that they this is all they got. Basically, yep. that's been my theory all along. Like they, they wish they had another approach, which we'll get to the. Did you see the Kamala? What is it called when you have the words um, uh, word map? The Kamala word map that came out. We'll, I didn't we'll see it, but I can only imagine. Oh, I'll how send great it to you. Is. We'll talk about that one in the next segment. But it's you know when you ask people, what are the words that come to mind when when you uh, ask them about Kamala Harris? The words are not amazing, leadership, brilliant. Those are not the words. Uh, so they've they've got themselves in a difficult situation. Um, I I think uh, the RFK Jr. stuff is is interesting. He would have to start. Again, quickly, because to get on the ballots in all these places, that would have to happen relatively soon here. You're not going to be able to get on the national ballots for 2024 if you launch a campaign or if you officially start trying to do that in January. So there's some lead time. It's almost October. So we are really now at the very last moment. This is the 11th hour of a big switch. I believe it was on um, our good friend uh, Sean Hannity's show uh, I think this just happened last night. So I hate when I see a tweet and I'm, and it turns out it's from six months ago, but I think Ted Cruz, that <laughs> happens do, to me all the time. I'm like, you guys see, circle, yeah, news. Yeah. Do lot. you see this amazing story I sent it to the team? They're like, Buck, that's from 2020. I'm like, damn it. Uh, but anyway, Ted Cruz raised at some point in recent history, uh, the Michelle Obama possibility as well. I view that as almost more, um, uh, I, I think that a candidate that is a Democrat consensus candidate forced by the system. Remember with Hillary and the superdelegates and they had to get rid of it because it was so obviously rigged in 2016 against Bernie. Democrats are very good at this. They have a real capability to move uh, as the hive mind declares. I think it's much more likely they would effectively drop in somebody uh, for Biden than to have an open primary. Clay, an open primary would be an abject mess for Democrats. I mean, that, to me, is crazy. And be and great for us. What's up? It'd be great for I mean, us. amazing for us, yeah. But it would effectively be handing, I think any Republican would be in a super strong position to win 20, any of the top Republican contenders, um, and including, obviously, Donald Trump right now. So there's there's a lot of these of these pieces that are moving around, but I I just caution everybody, it doesn't matter what perception is right now, it doesn't matter what the polls are right now. We have not seen what the campaign will be, and we are entering a year. People usually overstate this stuff, Clay. They'll say this is the most important election in the history, and I'm not gonna say this is the most important election, although. Maybe the country's over if we lose. But what I will say, what I will say is we are heading into the unprecedented situation of an election where the primary contender, the primary opponent to the president in power is facing. I don't know if the trials will happen or not. We talked about this. I think one or two. You think maybe one. Fine. Facing four felony indictments in the election year. So, so whatever we think the roadmap, there is no roadmap. There is no precedent for this. And so that's why I think, you know, it's, it's almost more helpful to look at where we are right now. Um, because I think where we'll be in six months is going to be different and where we are in a, a year might feel like we're in a different universe. Well, 
what I would say is significant in the next month is RFK Jr. said if he's going to run as an, a libertarian, he needs to make the decision by mid-October. Can I, can I ask you not to, but yeah. to your logic about Pritzker, why wouldn't RFK Jr. run? You, you asked this about Pritzker, and I say because yeah. I think he's got, he likes to be liked at cocktail parties and he wants to run next time. Why wouldn't RFK Jr. run, given what he's already done? A, I, I can't think of a reason why he wouldn't. He's already taken, um, you know, and again, a lot of this is just logic and game theory in my mind, trying to get inside the brains. If you are RFK Jr., you've already suffered all the slings and arrows of being denigrated for te- challenging Biden in the first place. To your point, they have found every relative of RFK Jr. on the planet, shoved a mic in their face and said, do you hate your uncle? Do you hate your brother? Uh, so can mean. you believe that your dad would do this? Uh, they, they, you know who he's married to? Do you watch, you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? Oh yeah. He's married to, to Larry David's, uh, wife in that wife show. I forget her name. Show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cheryl Hines. Is that her real name or I can't remember, but, um, but oh, can, they've even go gone ahead, after go her too, uh, um, in, in that respect. We do have the Ted Cruz. Talking about Michelle Obama soundbite from Sean Show. I was right. I did not misremember the time, the date. Play it. I think the odds are very significant that next summer at the Democrat National Convention, that the Democrat Party will jettison Joe Biden, will throw him off the ticket, and they will parachute in instead Michelle Obama to be their candidate. I think they're going to look to Michelle Obama as the savior to come in. And, and I think if that happens, that would be very, very dangerous. And every time I see a Democrat or one of their puppets in the press beginning to point out the problems with Joe Biden, every time that happens, the chances of that go up and up and up. Now, I think that's a long shot still for reasons we've discussed many times. However, if you are just thinking about this from the perspective of a Democrat party that is obsessed with power and is truly terrified of Trump now, some of them play along, Clay. You know, it's like the climate change thing. Some of them are just like, oh, yeah, while they're flying in their private jet, the world's going to melt, sure. They just tell the the plebs, you know, tell the uh, the hoi polloi this stuff when they don't believe it. There are a lot of Democrats who are terrified of Trump and would do absolutely anything to stop him from being president. If they were able to pull off this Michelle Obama maneuver, it would be very challenging, very challenging for a Republican. Is it harder to hate Trump if you know that he's gone in four years? Is it? I mean, meaning for them, if he were elected, oh, like no. part of part of the Trump delusion was, I think they were fighting against him being able to win a second time. So, in the back of your mind, two things: one, it is amazing to think about what their reaction would be. This is like uh, they they basically think they killed Freddy Krueger or Jason from the Friday the Thirteenth movies. And then suddenly he's right back alive, like chasing them. Uh, Clay, they, I mean, I, I think what you're getting at is, are they less scared that he can't do eight years instead of, you know, he can't have eight years of time, only four. They're already convinced that he's going to go in like, uh, like some psychotic dictator and start, and we might even have a soundbite. I saw this on MSNBC. They're talking about how he's just going to start throwing his, his, disfavored people in prison, you know, yeah. like like Pol Pot or Stalin or something. I mean, yeah, that's what I, they're saying. I get it. 
But I wonder if he actually won, leaving aside how amazing watching MSNBC would be on election night if Trump were returning to office. I mean, can you just imagine CNN, all of it? It's like you're doing time, you know, and uh, uh, and you know how long the time is, right? So Trump, uh, I'm sure they would start to argue, oh, he's going to refuse to leave office. He's going to announce yes. that he's going to run for, I mean, they would try that, right? But I think when you knew, and even the the most rational of them would know, whether it's Biden or Trump that wins in 24, if they're running against each other, Buck, they're going to have like 18 months of power, and then everybody is running in 2020. Well, that's what that's what I think also affects. Here, we'll, we'll come back into this, and also I'll tell you about the uh, Kamala word. I think it's called the word map. It's a poll about words that people use. You're going to want to take a guess before we come back. What are the words that people think of? When Kamala Harris's name is brought up, companies that go above and beyond for their consumers are companies that you want to do business with. Pure Talk is my cell phone company, and they certainly know this. They live by it. This summer, Pure Talk increased the monthly data allowance on their plans by 50% without increasing their low monthly cost of just $20. That's looking out for their existing customers like me while also doing their very best to attract new customers, too. This new increased plan also comes with a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk, text, and now 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Yes, just $20 a month. Veteran-owned with a customer service team all working right here in the USA, Pure Talk has great 5G nationwide cell phone service. Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, make the switch to Pure Talk, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. 
Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. We're joined by our friend Morgan Ortega. She's the founder of Polaris National Security, former spokesperson for the U.S. State Department, and uh, a Naval Reserve officer, former intelligence analyst. You see her. You've seen her a lot in the past on Fox News. Morgan, thanks for being here with us. Uh, also a friend of mine, friend of Clay, so that means she's good people, everybody. Um, tell us uh, about hey. this story, because I, I think you're going to have to lay it out. Um, yep. This this crosses over into the realm of major Iranian foreign policy, the Obama administration, holdovers to the Biden administration, nuclear policy. What went on here? Like, tell everybody about this, uh, this situation, because it's going to be the first time they've heard it. Yeah, so it's pretty breaking news this morning. Um, I will say, you know, I, I live in Nashville where Clay lives, and I was uh, getting ready to drive to Memphis, got up at – I'm speaking at the Lincoln Day Dinner tonight for anybody who's listening from Memphis. Hope to see you there. Um, but uh, I, I was wiping the sleep out of my eyes, and I thought, am I actually reading what I think I'm reading here? And, and, and it's I think it should be the foreign policy scandal of a generation if everything that CIMAFOR is reporting is true. So to take a really complicated picture and try to distill it down quickly so all the listeners can understand, essentially what happened, and CIMAFOR, by the way, is a pretty mainstream media organization started by some New York Times uh, journalists. Um, CIMAFOR reported uh, that they got a hold of a lot of uh, emails, internal correspondence from uh, the Iranian regime, but also correspondence that the Iranians were having with Americans. And essentially what the correspondent said is the Iranian regime, and around 2014, um, they were heavily under U.S. sanctions at that point from both uh, the Bush administration and the Obama administration, and they wanted to improve their image in the United States, and they wanted to get favorable terms for a nuclear deal that had been uh, begun being negotiated in secret, right? So these are things like how many centrifuges uh, was, should Iran be allowed to have? So it wasn't just trying to like blanket improve the reputation in the United States. It was trying to it was trying to get favorable terms for that nuclear deal negotiation. Now that deal was the JCPOA that President Obama signed. Remember, this was a political deal. It was not ratified by the Senate, and that's why in the Trump administration, in which I served, uh, we were able to tear up that nuclear deal because we didn't think it was it was a good deal. And I could go into another hour on your show explaining why that wasn't a good deal. You, you know this stuff really well, Buck. Um, so what was really mind-blowing about these internal communications about this foreign influence plan that they had in the United States is they had a list of officials, of, of people, of, of influential, mostly Iranian-Americans, uh, that they wanted to recruit to be a part of this. Well, the big problem is it appears on that list, again, if the semaphore reporting is true, that it was uh, Obama officials and current Biden officials who were not only a, a part of the list of people that were, uh, you know, a part of this influence campaign, but who actually saw emails um, from these people. Now, they were at think tanks at the time. 
that they that they saw some of these emails, but it was emails that you know one guy essentially said to the to the foreign minister, "I'm a proud Iranian American. I'm going to do anything that I can to help Iran." Almost pledging allegiance to Iran, and so when you when you start to look at the correspondence, it's pretty damning from the perspective of Buck. I thought, how in the world do these people have security clearances? You know, how are you currently working in government if you were emailing the Iranians foreign ministers aides, talking about how you would publicly publicly support their side during the nuclear uh, negotiations? You weren't talking about it as an independent analyst. You were talking about not taking the American side. You were talking about taking the Iranian side, which is just pretty wild and mind-blowing to me. And also, there, you know, some of these people that were involved uh, in caught up in these emails also were a part of the $6 billion ransom payment agreement uh, that the Biden team just paid uh, to the Iranians last week. So this is, while it can easily be looked at as like, well, this is a niche story, I don't think it's a niche story because it shows that the Iranian regime set out to, to get uh, these uh, former Obama and, and some current Biden officials to get them to influence United States foreign policy on behalf of Iran. Morgan, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, and I saw your tweets this morning, which was what, uh, which was kind of made me think, oh my, this is kind of a big story. And I, and I bet a lot of our audience wouldn't know. And you just hit on it. Uh, we just gave six billion dollars to Iran, mm-hmm. I think, for five uh, prisoners to be returned as part of a prisoner exchange. Also, how much money did we give Iran over the initial Obama deal? Because am I correct to remember that basically we just flew in planes filled with cash? And that happened, right? That absolutely happened. That was reported. That was uncovered by the Wall Street Journal. The Obama team thought that they would get away with that. It ended up being uh, at least 90 billions of dollars also in sanctions relief. And, and by the way, you know, what do we think the Iranians did with that money? Well, we know that they increased their ballistic missile production so that they can more easily threaten Israel, threaten their neighbors, eventually threaten the United States. We obviously have troops in the region. You know, that money did not go to public health infrastructure, right, or, or roads or bridges or new schools. That money in sanctions relief went to uh, the Shia militias around the region that Iran uses to destabilize and, and to commit acts of terrorism. Um, so uh, the United States sanctions relief directly con- contributed, directly contributed to groups like, you know, Hezbollah and Hamas and, and other Shia militants. For example, the ones in Iraq, which Buck knows quite well, uh, which attacked American interests and have seen some American contractor deaths um, due to that. So they, you know, they didn't keep any of their promises. Of course they didn't. You'd be silly to... You'd be silly to believe them the first time and especially silly to believe them the second time. While we've got you, Morgan, I saw a story, and I bet you have an interesting take on it. Um, speaking of Iran, uh, where MBS, who basically runs Saudi Arabia, said, well, if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, then Saudi Arabia is also going to need nuclear weapons. Yeah. What do you think about that, and what is the geopolitical status right now as you see it of the Middle East? We tend to focus right now on, obviously, Europe with Ukraine, Russia, and then the threat of China, Taiwan. My eyebrows got raised a little bit about the idea of Saudi Arabia also having nukes, Iran having nukes, given how unstable many of those countries in the Middle East could be. How nervous yeah. should we be about that? Well, listen, they, I lived in Saudi Arabia at the U.S. Embassy from 2010 and 11, and the Saudis told me that back then, right? They said if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, we have to get one. So while that position is not it, it, is not new, I definitely think that it's the first time many Americans are hearing it. 
And we should be very concerned because there is no plan um, from the Biden team to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. We were very clear in the Trump administration. We ripped up the JCPOA. We said this is not a treaty, right? The, the, the Obama team did not go to the Senate to get it ratified as a treaty. It's a political document. And by the way, they didn't go to the Senate because they knew they couldn't get the votes. Also, not even from their own party, Chuck Schumer uh, and others, uh, other Menendez. Uh, well, Menendez isn't a great example, but other Democrats <laughs> didn't vote against it uh, at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so we never believed it. We instituted the maximum economic pressure campaign. And President Trump stated very clearly, by any means necessary, Iran was not going to obtain a nuclear weapon. And the Iranians knew that Trump was serious because he took out Qasem Soleimani, you know, their world-leading terrorist, the person who was in, in charge of the IRGC. And so, um, which is the Iran Revolutionary Guard, by the way. Sorry to use the acronyms. So that's, I think, what we're missing from Team Biden is they have tried for three years now. They've chased the Iranians around the world, tried to negotiate, begged, cajoled, pleaded for them to get back into the deal. The Iranians haven't done that because the Americans, the current administration, is not enforcing the sanctions on Iran. So, like, why would they make a deal with us? There's sanctions placed on them that no one respects or, or enforces. There's no there's no credible threat of force from the Biden team saying, if you do this, we're going to stop you. So, like, what's in it for them to get a deal? There's there's nothing really good in it for them. Morgan Ortegas, everybody. Morgan, appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. She's great. Uh, another Nashville person, Buck. Um, just continue to stack them here. Uh, when a company does something as smart as upgrading their service plan without attaching a price hike to it, that's a good thing. Pure Talk, one of those companies, great news for existing customers and New customers alike. Pure Talk added data to every plan, included a mobile hotspot with each one as well. No price increases whatsoever. Still just 20 bucks a month. Unlimited talk text. Now 50% more 5G data plus a mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month. We love Pure Talk. My 15 year old has a Pure Talk phone. We rely on that phone to be able to be in contact with him. Let us know how his day's going. He's a sophomore in school. We rely on it for our family. You can rely on it for your family as well. Veteran-owned, they have the best customer service team right here in the good old USA. Most families saving $1,000 a year with the most dependable 5G network in America. Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck to make the switch to Pure Talk. You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, make the switch to Pure Talk today. Need a break from politics? A little comedy to counter the craziness? So do we. The Sunday Hang. A weekend podcast to lighten things up a bit. Find it in the Clay and Buck podcast feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show, hour number three. We are rolling through the Tuesday edition of the program. We talked about the fact that Donald Trump has now moved to the top of the overall odds markets to be elected president of the United States in 2024. Uh, there are a lot of different storylines to follow and be associated with there. Um, but a big part of this is what's going to happen with the third party process. And we say this, by the way, on the eve of the second Republican primary debate, which will be taking place in California at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, and that we know Donald Trump will not be involved in. But big story out there is that there may be a third party. Um, 
And uh, in particular, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. may be entering as a libertarian. Buck is of the opinion, and I think I would maybe sign on with this, that an RFK Jr. libertarian candidacy could be a challenge to Trump as much or more than it would be to Biden. That will be a huge topic of debate. But I've got a poll up right now, and among my group of uh, of Twitter followers out there, about 30% of you said that you would vote. Uh, again, this is on Twitter. You can go vote at Clay Travis. About 30% of you said that you would vote for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. over Donald Trump. Uh, 60 some odd percent say for Trump, 5% say for Biden. Again, that's people who follow me on Twitter. Anybody can go vote in that poll. Um, and that would suggest that that's not a, uh, ridiculous proposition that Buck may well be right about this overall impact. But I think the biggest storyline is Joe Biden's incompetence. And when I woke up this morning, I saw this thing. This is the headline of Axios, which does a good job with a morning newsletter. One big thing, scoop. And, Buck, this is not the kind of scoop that you want associated with Joe Biden. So this is not something where sometimes you're like, okay, they leaked this. They want this story out there. Scoop. Biden's don't trip plan. And I thought, well, certainly this is a metaphor. It can't actually be what it says. No, no, no. The opening paragraph, President Biden and his staff are working on an urgent project to protect his reelection bid, a don't trip strategy. Uh, Democrats, this is, this is crazy. Democrats, including some in the administration, are terrified Biden will have a bad fall with a nightmare scenario of it happening in the weeks before the 2024 election. So what are they doing? Remember, Biden tripped and fell on the stage at the Air Force Academy. Biden is working every day with a physical therapist to try to improve his balance. Since his stumble in June, Buck, they put him in tennis shoes, with the idea being it's better for him to be walking in tennis shoes, I guess, than dress shoes, which tend to be slicker. I'm, I'm guessing that's the theory. And they have, cha- and this is a big story that I don't think has been talked about enough. They changed the stairs on Air Force One so that the steps are shorter, so he doesn't have to climb as many stairs in order to get on the plane. Now, I, the worst case scenario here, and this is sad to even think about, is when Biden gets off Air Force One, you know, and he stands up at the top of the parapet there, Buck, and waves, as he starts to walk down, he could trip, and then there's a lot of stairs, and you bang and fall and, like, break a bone. And I mean, he could kill himself falling down as many stairs as there are on Air Force One, which is crazy. But the fact that Democrats have a top story coming out a little bit over, thir- for a, little, a little bit less than 14 months, 13 and a half months from the election where the story is Biden is training to try to fall less. They're putting him in tennis shoes, and they've had to change the steps on Air Force One. I don't know how they escape this storyline, but it ain't a good storyline that they're terrified that he's going to fall and what it could mean for the 2024 election. Can you believe this is real? Like, would you have ever believed that this was possible? I mean, this is crazy. I mean, it's this is... A recognition of of reality. There's nothing about this that's that's strange. I mean, this. I mean, I shouldn't say there's nothing about them writing this or this being a story that's strange because we can all see it. Of course, it's strange to have a president who's 
uh, stumbling around in this way. But I, I think, man, if, if this were, I, this is my, my baseline assumption here for everything that we're talking about is if this were September of 2024, um, I think the Democrats would be in a lot of trouble <laughs> with these numbers and Biden and everything else. Um, but it's, there's so much time here. Uh, that they may be able to, at some level, normalize Joe Biden, uh, and, and meaning normalize his physical infirmities. Um, I'm not convinced that Democrats, remember what they did with Fetterman. If you criticized his, uh, cognition issues, you were being an, you were, you were criticizing a man for his disability mm-hmm. and that he's strong and, and, uh, you should encourage him to come forward and talk about, you know, the severe depression, all the, all of these things. And they turned that around pretty effectively, uh, at the time. I'm not convinced that Joe Biden, uh, I mean, this, this is going to sound crazy and this will probably be, you know, used against me at some point in the future. I'm not convinced that if they wheel Joe Biden out in a wheelchair and they're just like, Hey guys, he's gotten a little bit weaker or whatever that, that Democrats would necessarily say he can't. They just say his mind is sharp as a tack. I mean, this is what they've been saying behind closed doors. We all have to understand, Clay, we're operating in a world where for four years Democrats claimed that there was a plot with Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, and the Kremlin that involved tapes of prostitutes urinating on the then-president of the United States. Sorry, but that's what the allegation was. That there was a Kremlin-Putin-Trump plot with zero evidence to steal the 2016 election. Every person who is on TV talking about Joe Biden, who's a Biden partisan, went along with that. So the notion that, I mean, I, I just think we've entered an era of political mass hysteria. I, I, I think that, um, you know, if you want to get a sense of where we are, forget about Axios, read Gustave Le Bon, the, uh, the, you know, the French political philosopher who just talked about how mobs just want slogans. They want to be around other people. They want it. They want chance. They want to feel like there's meaning to their lives, you know, whatever. All this other stuff we get into, I mean, you know, the marginal tax rate and manufacturing and you know, I don't know if it really moves the needle. Is is this too crazy for you? No, I don't think it's crazy at all, which is why I think there's there's going to be probably tens of billions of dollars spent over the next 13 and a half months to get ready for 2024. And I think almost all of it's going to be wasted because I, I don't think there are that many people that uh, that have not already made up their opinion, which is why I say, and this has been my argument for a while, and if it's Trump-Biden, it's going to stay my argument, Trump can win three ways, right? One is a third party, although third party could cut against him too, but uh, but I think in general a third party could help Trump. Um, another is, and I think this is going to be true, I think a lot less people, we've got a stake bet I think on this, I think a lot less people are going to vote in 2024 than voted in 2020. Yes, we do have a stake bet on this. I wrote this I wrote this one down. I yeah. think the turnout will be higher than it was in the last election. You think it will be dramatically lower. Yeah, I think uh that a lot of people bought into Biden will make America normal again. And just to be clear, we're talking aggregate turnout across Correct. the board. Total, total okay. there 100 they counted 156 million and I'm uh, votes in 2020. I think fewer than 156 million people will vote in 2024. I'm going to um, have Clay cut up my filet mignon into little pieces, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to have him call, call me like, you know, Lord, Lord Buck or something. Go ahead. And then the third here is exactly what they're talking about. I think that Biden could have such a debilitating moment 
that it's impossible for anyone with a functional brain to vote for him. And that could be he's coming down Air Force One and he just trips and falls and he just bounce like boom, 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 boom. He falls. It could be at the uh at the debate uh, to the extent that we have a debate that he has a <laughs> you're, Mitch McConnell you're moment. The presidency on the president tripping and falling. Are you aware yes. of this? I mean, this is, this is the whole the Axios bug. This is what I'm saying. Their whole story. I mean, I couldn't. You, you are, you are. I'm falling and I can't get up to Joe Biden right now. You are, you are doing that to him. I think that Joe Biden is so incompetent, and I hate that the Democrats have even made this a reality. No one has ever had a discussion about. They had to change the president's shoes to try to make it less likely that he's going to fall. I mean, this this is crazy talk that we're in this scenario, and this is the analogy that I was going to make with you, Buck. Sometimes you get so close to an issue, you're going to find this with your book. And it's a perfect example when you write a book. At some point, you've read your book so many times that you can't see it with fresh eyes. And this is this is an analogy that I've made before. It's a good one. You guys steal this, all right? If you are married or you have a long-term girlfriend, you steal this. Hopefully they don't listen to the show. But you can steal this and claim it's yours. And I wonder, I bet this has happened to you every now and then, Buck. You're a newlywed. Every now and then you are out somewhere, if you are a man, this has been my experience, I've been married almost 20 years, you are out somewhere with your wife. Maybe it's a grocery store, maybe it's uh, a mall, shopping mall, a, and you're separated, right? Like maybe you go to get the milk and she's going to get the uh, the chips or the cereal or whatever else. Maybe you're in a bookstore and you're looking in different sections of the bookstore and you come around a corner and you see your wow, wife, I hope this happens to some of you, and for a moment you think, oh, who's that pretty girl? And then you're like, oh, it's my wife. Because you aren't expecting to see her and you see her again in a way that you did for the first time, Right. Because you're used to, if you're in your house, you're used to seeing your wife. Um, and maybe women do this for husbands. I don't know. I don't think I'm that good looking. I doubt my wife is like, oh, that's my husband. He's attractive. But I know this happens for me with my wife. You see your spouse as if you are not used to seeing them. It takes you out of the relationship that you're in, and you see it somewhat more objectively. Do Democrats not realize? Because they're so close to this re-election campaign. You're changing the president's shoes because you're afraid that he can't walk in normal shoes and that he's going to fall. You're changing the steps on Air Force One because you're afraid that he's going to trip. That's a sign, if you pull yourself out of the campaign, that you are working to elect someone who is unable physically, I'm not even talking about mentally, unable physically to do the job. Pull yourself out of this crazy, myopic view where you're writing a book and you're so close to it that you can't see it freshly. Clay, if, Buck, they're crazy. If this all mattered in the way that it matters to you, you wouldn't, meaning if this, if this was as cut and dry and clear of an impact on the electorate, you wouldn't have Trump and Biden effectively tied in all the national polls right now. Now, that's not good for Biden. I know you can look deeper in the data, and there's a lot of things that indicate weakness, and they want different candidates and all this, but you know, every every Democrat who voted for him last time is going to vote for him this time. I mean, this, this is... 
That is not changing with Trump as his opponent. There is not a single person that I can think of that I have ever spoken to in real life who was like, yeah, I voted for Biden in 2020. This time around, I'm voting for Donald J. But see, what they're not going to do is show up. That's my theory. You're right. I think a lot of people, because they're so invested, they may even say I'm voting for Biden. But then they're going to be like, I'm not going to go stand in line on election day. I'm not even going to fill out this ballot. No one really believes who's casting a ballot for Biden next year. No one really would believe that they're voting for four years of Biden. They're voting for the continuation of Democrat control with Obama advisors and policies to be implemented. That's, you know, remember in the beginning with Joe Biden, it was he was a Trojan horse. And now we see he's like a figurehead. Right. I mean, it, it, the Trojan horse component was I'm going to unify the country. I'm good old Grandpa Joe. You can trust me. Now he's just the vessel through which the Democrats can continue to pursue the policies they want. I really think I mean, it's one of the most important political essays I've read all year was that Obama factor uh essay that we talked about on the show where it was just this is a de facto continuation of Obama's third term yeah. with some. You know, old befuddled white dude as the president, you know, in, you know, technically, but the advisors around him and the apparatus of the Democrat party and the, and the cabinet members and all the rest of it is effectively Obama 3.0. And so if that is what you're getting for a lot of Democrats, they're like, well, let's just do Obama 4.0 in essence without it necessarily even being uh, Michelle Obama who's on the ticket. It's just Joe Biden. As the guy, when was the, here's a question for you. When was the last time you think Joe Biden pounded the table in the Oval Office and made a decision that overrode his advisors that didn't have anything to do with Hunter Biden? Yeah. <laughs> Take that off the table. You know what I mean? I don't think it's happened. This is why the, the ultimate question is who's the decider? Ultimately, when you vote for president of the United States, they are putting the most in, you know, because you walked into the Oval Office and 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 briefed George W. You're giving the most difficult decisions, people, things that no one else can figure out. You're putting them on that resolute desk. Biden is not the decider in chief. It's a who's actually making decisions right now. It's a collective, man. It's like uh, it's like the Paris communes. You know, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of people coming together and. Uh, around in the corridors of power and pushing our, well, let's, we, we gotta, we gotta bounce yeah. for a second here. We'll come back. 800-282-2882. Gun owners, you've likely heard me talk about my Mantis X system, which is a firearms training tool that I use at home. It's a no ammo, all electronic system, and it's a really good one. When you can use a training tool like Mantis X on the days or weeks you can't get to the gun range, that's a win. You want to keep your aim intact and you want to keep your skills sharp. And that's what the Mantis X allows you to do. This is a great training tool to have that allows you to improve your accuracy. It simply attaches to your firearm like a weapon light, and then it connects to your phone and the Mantis X app. The Mantis X gives you data-driven, real-time feedback in your technique, tells you how you're performing and improving, particularly with the feedback that the app gives you. If you're like most new Mantis X users, you're going to experience improvement within 15 or 20 minutes. The Mantis X is a must-have for every gun owner. Start improving your shooting accuracy today. Get yours at MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X dot com. Sanity in an insane world. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Campbell. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. So I I bet a huge percentage of you are not on TikTok. I am. I have a TikTok account. I've never posted anything. I'm mostly there to make sure my kids don't post crazy things. Um, but we've got a Clay and Buck TikTok account. So if you are interested in TikTok, Buck has spent more time there than I have. Um, a lot of people evidently are now following us on TikTok. Like you said, we've got like 50,000 followers or something on TikTok. Yeah. I mean, there are girls who do makeup tutorials who have like six million, but we we do have fifty thousand. So there's that. <laughs> well, this is why I, I I can barely spend any time on Instagram because you know I'm out there grinding away every day for however many hours I'm working, and then you know some random hot chick in a bikini has like four million Twitter followers, and I'm like, this is probably not my probably not my place to dominate. Well, she has Instagram so. followers, probably yes. more than Twitter followers. Yes, yes. Oh, did I say Twitter? I meant Instagram. Yeah. Yes. I was like, I, maybe I, she's a scholar as well, but Yeah. I post from my own Twitter account. Uh Instagram, you know, I I have people who post things and everything else. But we have got a, a smart social media team and we have a, a take that we put up of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and we uh I was ripping Travis Kelsey for taking money from Bud Light, but worse than that, taking money from Pfizer and trying to encourage young people out there, which is the target market that they're using and trying to reach by using Travis Kelsey. 
to get the COVID shot. My argument is certainly, you know, if you're a teenager, 20s, 30s, certainly if you're younger than 20, the idea that you would get the COVID shot to me is, is, is crazy. You actually have far more risk as a young man than you do any benefit. So, but they put up a clip and it wasn't about the COVID shot necessarily. And we got like 500,000, uh, Twitter follow, I mean, uh, views on TikTok. And then we got a strike because the Taylor Swift people evidently were upset because we weren't being nice enough to Travis Kelsey. Clay, Clay got dinged by the Swifties for hate speech against Kelsey. That's how this all went down. He all was being of these mean. stories are crazy, by the way. Would you have ever believed that you would be on this show saying Clay got dinged by the Swifties for hate speech about Travis Kelsey? It's a crazy no. world we live in. Or, and you just watched this clip, and I'm about to play a historian clip. You, I, I shared with you, Biden went, spent 12 minutes with the UAW in Michigan and then turned around and got back on the plane. But we mentioned that this Axios lead story was about the fact that they have changed the steps for Air Force One. You watch this video. Buck, the new, st- like they're basically putting him in the very bottom of Air Force One. If you have ever seen that sort of majestic scene where the president lands, comes out on Air Force One, or walks up the steps, turns, almost always waves, right? President comes out. It's a very staged affair. Hey, let me wave. I'm at the very top of this huge staircase. Every single one of you listening right now has seen that at some point in time. The idea is it's majestic. Air Force One conveys the pomp, the circumstance, the power of the United States of America. They now, Buck, when you see this the, the, the staircase that they're putting him on, they're basically having him walk up like 15 stairs and go into the bowels of the airplane because they don't think he can walk the stairs anymore. Again, I just say to everyone out there, if you are a Democrat and you are doing all of this, pull yourself out of how close you are watching this Clay, and think, what are we doing? There, the, the Every Democrat is thinking the choice is between Biden and his walker and his sippy cup and the end of democracy, okay? That's what they've convinced themselves. Here is historian John Meacham saying that this is basically the end if we don't have a Biden-Democrat victory. Play 10. This whole election, the, the Constitution, think about this. The Constitution, if the numbers are even remotely true, is going to come down to a couple of hundred thousand people in five states, right that's that's where we are and so to some extent the appeal has to be if you are one of these folks in michigan in pennsylvania in arizona uh if you're there do you want to terminate the constitution and if you do you better be sure your team's always going to be in power can okay. I make it just a quick wait? I just a, just a quick case here on the the terminate the Constitution argument. Uh, Donald Trump at various points when he was president, uh, many points, and I think it was an abuse of the law, had federal judges who put forward these universal. One federal judge would say, "Nope, sorry, president can't do that." And then you know what Trump's response always was? It's not what the Obama response was. It's not what the Biden response was. They would always try to just do it and make someone stop them from doing it. 
the uh, the Trump response was, all right, well, we'll see you in court and we'll we'll see if we can make it up through the appeals process and take it to the Supreme Court. Remember, Obama lost the Supreme Court um, 11 out of 13 times on issues of basically abuse of power. That's one part. And the other part, you and I both made this point many times. It's a critical one. Trump was given the biggest invitation to straight up autocracy in certainly in living memory in this country. I mean, yes. nothing else, I think, even comes close. I mean, even, much more so than even in the aftermath of, of 9-11, we were united to face an enemy. When you're looking at a pandemic and everyone's scared of their neighbor, the opening for autocracy there is enormous. And while I have some criticisms of everybody involved in COVID, including Trump, um, at the end of the day, he left it to states to make their own decisions and did not take it as an opportunity to be a tyrant, and Joe Biden did take it as an opportunity to be a tyrant. So this notion, and, and an unconstitutional one, yes. uh, the notion that, that Trump is the end of the Constitution is uh, hysterical nonsense, and people who say it uh, should should honestly take a, take a walk, calm down. I think from a historic perspective, Trump had an opportunity, the likes of which we have not seen since World War II, to enact sweeping federal power, and obviously Roosevelt did it during World War II, to even use Japanese internment camps as an example, that was how sweeping his power was during World War II. Since then, I do, and your point, I think it makes sense, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, when we were un- unclear whether there might be more attacks coming, the president, to protect the country, did enact many different policies. But that was a relatively short-lived process. Other than World War II, most of us right now, and I know there are some of you out there uh, that in living memory can recall the World War II process. Most of us cannot. You're right. And th- these historians really, and this this particular clip we're playing is John Meacham, but also Michael Beschloss said, do you remember what he said? If Republicans win in 2022, there's going to be firing squads. I'm paraphrasing, but he went on MSNBC and basically said, People are going to be lining up and shooting uh, people who disagree with them politically. These people are uniquely indefensible to me, Buck, because I look, if you're Corinne Jean-Pierre and you are a partisan political shill and you go on and you make arguments that are untrue, I don't appreciate it, but I understand that it's part of the game. You always talk about Senator Harry Reid lying about uh, Mitt, Romney. Mitt Romney yeah, and it worked and it, and it worked. And so that's it's unfortunate to have lies at the heart of the political process. But if you're a rabid partisan, that often happens. The whole point of being a historian and certainly one of these public historians who goes on and talks about the context of American history and our unique experiment as a republic is that you have perspective and are not a prisoner of the moment to say that the Constitution won't exist if Donald Trump is elected president, do we, I mean, I would love to hear John Meacham say, okay, so historically, can you point me to a moment in time where any president has been trying to put his chief political rival in prison for the rest of his life? This never happened before, so he wouldn't be able to point to a historic moment. Isn't that a bigger threat than anything that Donald Trump might do if he were elected president? I... Th- these people, these historians, frankly, Buck, I mean, I get really fired up about this. The fact that they would go on because they're leaning, they're using their imprimatur yes. of legitimacy to argue something that is entirely 
un, without defense from a historical basis. Yes. You know, it's like I, I wrote a big dusty book about Rutherford, Rutherford B. Hayes. Right. So listen to me now on the future of democracy in 2023. That's kind of how this goes. Yeah. And they're, they're treated as if they are above reproach. I mean, I think Beshelow's saying people are going to get shot, lined up and shot. If I think he said, I'm not sure we'll have another free election after this. This should be credibility destroying immediately. But this play, this is all going to why, you know, I think we have to be so careful about analyzing the the feelings and the mood of the country from a right of center perspective. People, Democrats on the left, when it comes to Trump, I mean, they we're going now into eight years of this. They have been conditioned. In, in like Pavlovian fashion, they have been conditioned to be terrified at the prospect of Trump being in office again. Yeah. And, and that means that, you know, it's, it's a very different calculation than it would be in a normal, you know, normal election year. You know, would, would some random Republican up against Joe Biden doddering around, uh, do better? You know, I don't think we're going to get to find out. We'll see. Uh, let's, let's switch gears here for a second. If your family is one that makes lots of family movies over the course of time, Legacy Box wants to say hello to you. I'm talking about families that wore the video cam out taping birthday parties, uh, Christmas mornings, sporting events, you name it. Legacy Box is the company in Tennessee that has been digitally transferring all that's on those videotapes you've got stored away. They've got the gear, the technology, and the know-how. Their 200 technicians hand transfer every one of your videotapes in several weeks' time, and you get back tapes from them along with brand new digital files. That can be as simple as a computer link or a thumb drive or even DVDs. We've used this company a time or two for this purpose ourselves for our families, and they do a great job. Get your tapes in order and ship them off the Legacy Box. They've got a great solution so that you can start watching all those family videos again. Sooner or later, those videotapes you're storing away will disintegrate. Visit LegacyBox.com slash buck to get 40% off. That's LegacyBox.com slash buck for 40% off their regular pricing. Need a break from politics? A little comedy to counter the craziness? So do we. The Sunday Hang, a weekend podcast to lighten things up a bit. Find it in the Clay and Buck podcast feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels 
challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.